Tonight on Arena... Elvis Costello with the stories behind the songs on his new album The Boy Called If and our reviewers have been listening to new work from The Lumineers FKA Twigs and Grace Cummings Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the program at RTE Arena. Elvis Costello was born Declan Patrick McManus in London in 1954. Starting out on the city's pub rock scene in the mid-1970s, he released his debut album, My Aim Is True, in 1977, just as punk was taking off. My Aim Is True and his next two albums, this year's Model and Armed Forces, all feature on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. And Costello's also a Grammy Award winner, 1999 and 2020. He's just announced his new album with the Imposters. It's called The Boy Named If. I spoke with Elvis Costello in recent times. We began by listening to the title track from the new album. track there from Elvis Costello's new album The Boy Named If or to give it its full title The Boy Named If and Other Children's Stories and delighted to have Elvis join us this evening to talk about the album The If there um, sometimes we see it in the material alongside the album Elvis has I full stop F full stop Your imaginary friend is alive and well is he? Or she perhaps? I I, 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 I think um keeping an eye on him in case he comes at me with a large hatchet. <laughs> Is he, I, I noticed that uh, at one point he's described as a, a mischievous little sprite. Has your imaginary friend called you, caused you difficulty down the years? Uh, I think everybody has, um, you know, those of us that were brought up with the uh, belief in a guardian angel, we're used to having somebody looking at all our sins Um I think an imaginary friend is a short uh, step from that. There's somebody else you can blame. But what is a charming invention and a child is uh, less endearing in a man of 27 or 35 or 52. You know, oh, you don't understand me. It's that other side of myself that you don't know about. You know, that's that's another kind of imaginary friend that you don't want to meet. I think these yeah, I songs try to catch all of those things uh, as they go along in, in time, you know, uh, I wrote the songs pretty close together with the guitar in my hands. That's why they sound the way they do. And uh, it seems as if that's what I was writing about. You know, sometimes you don't recognize it until the work is done, that you're circling around a few thoughts at different times in life. Uh, that wonderful time, just as you leave in childhood, where all those things of wonder are still available to you. And then you have to, you have to confront um, lust and uh, algebra. Um, both things are very confusing <laughs> for sure uh, I'm not sure which is harder to deal with lust or algebra um, but I'm almost <laughs> certain algebra is yeah. <laughs> the album starts I suppose it's quite early on the title track that we just listened to there and we are kind of following this 
young this young boy on the cusp of adulthood and then to later on we certainly get men later on who uh, you wouldn't want to meet too in in too many uh, on too many occasions some of them are quite dark creatures or or is that the imaginary friend just manifesting himself in a dark way well he doesn't this character such as he is he doesn't really uh, he, i think the title covers all of the them themes of the record quite well. You know, it, it opens up the consideration that these are different scenes in a life. But um, it, it, I don't think that specific character appears in every song. It's not that kind of mm. concept record. You know, it's not, it wasn't written with a blueprint. I wrote the songs and obviously they came together the way they did uh, against the background of being thousands of miles apart. And yet, um, because I, I think we have a degree of trust and experience between us, having some of us, three of us having played together for 45 years, and Davey now having played with us for 20, we had nothing to fear and just let and fly, even though we were all in our separate spaces. And the end result was, you know, folded together by Sebastian and Chris on this mix. As to the writing between them, I, yeah, there's no doubt that some of the characters are a little unpleasant, you know, mm. the ghost that haunts the theatre and the man you love to hate, the scoundrel looking back on his sins, having seduced a novice in his youth. Um, he's not a very admirable character, but there's, I didn't want to write a moralizing record with a, and the moral of the story is in the last, last, you know, verse. Mm. So I leave the door open, hopefully for an imagination, the interest of the listener. The other and thing, of course, in addition, yeah, sorry. The, the other thing that you give us, or possibly this is where you were going there, the other thing that you give us with the, the record is this 88 page hardback storybook, a, a story attached to each song in some ways. Kind of teased the song up first, was the way I used it to when I was listening to the album. I kind of read the story, then let myself have the song. But the illustrations that are in there as well from Eamon Singer, uh, how did you know Eamon or how did you come across him? Because the, the, the material is that the, the, oh, the illustration... Eamon a long time. Eamon's almost like my imaginary friend. <laughs> you know, Eamon's been with me since, uh, oh, I, I don't remember when. Mm. Uh, but uh, is it, he's definitely my other self. Um, and sometimes you just, you know, again, you got to remember you can draw, imagine things in your head. It doesn't mean you, you have any expertise in rendering them but they are really your imagining so if they are um daubs which i i always refer to them as daubs rather than paintings or illustrations they are my work mm. and they are part of the imagining of this these tales um the reason of for writing the short stories was really to put some something at the center of this release that you could hold in your hand it won't be everybody's choice to get that storybook, but if you do get it, you get these, I suppose, the scene that occurred immediately before the song started playing or the postscript to the song or the background detail to the song. It would be the different ways to describe those tales. I just wanted to create a physical object that imagined the cover of the record being a, a drawing of a storybook. And when they told me that we needed something physical other than just a record album and, and heaven knows, as you probably know, vinyl has been in short supply in recent times, then, you know, you are then faced with seeing a record that you've assembled and you've tried to kind of turn into a tale, a collection of tales, really. Um, that's going to be thrown into the stream with all the other pilchards, you know. Um, I just wanted to create something you can hold in your hand. 
and, and certainly the beauty of the beauty of those images it's a, is it's a beautiful edition i mean i've seen a, a finished one and they did a wonderful job printing it and uh, there's a there's a scare and something startling and something funny about some of these drawings that um you know people could take them too seriously but uh, some of them are very macabre yeah. uh, necessarily because of the the, to the topic of the song they're attached to and others are, are just humorous you know it also struck how me you, with how do you describe magnificent hurt in in a in one drawing it's it's a couple upside down on a roller coaster and all the money's falling out of their pockets and the rings are falling off their fingers so they they're losing everything including their allegiance you know i mean that's one way of saying that, that what happens in that song yeah, well, let's listen to the song and, and get a sense of you've described the visuals that, that accompany it. Let's listen to the music itself. Magnificent Heart from Elvis Costello's new album, The Boy Named If, and Elvis speaking to us about it this evening. Uh, I was also struck, uh, Elvis, about uh, the, the illustration and the, the, the kind of melancholy feel, because you've spoken about the humour that's there in the pieces, the macabre nature that's there in the pieces. But in Paint the Red Rose Blue, there really was a, it was melancholy was really what I felt around it. Uh, what's the background to this song for you and the writing of it? I was thinking of somebody who's really always kind of courted, you know, some people court darkness. They almost take it on like a theatrical cloak, like a sort of Victorian actor. You know, they like the darkness. They like to kind of talk, glamorize sadness and, you know, the shadows. And then if you imagine somebody like that being visited by the cruelty of darkness, the cruelty of some event that transforms them, it would, it it could lead you in a place where you painted over the the romantic idea that you'd held as a kind of excuse for maybe not like speaking as plain spoken as one could be. There's a sort of romantic kind of elusiveness, and then you you're forced to kind of find the way to love again. That's what it describes as a couple finding their way back to trust in love after some momentous thing has happened to them. I, I don't, I feel with a number of these songs, I haven't given the specifics of what that event is because I would hope anybody hearing it would, would sort of hear in the music and in some of the images in the lyric, something that they can feel. That's, there's no point in giving everybody all the information on page one if you're intending them to read to page 10, you know. And that's also true of, you know, uh, several of the other songs that have an element of mystery about them, which is resolved by the listener's imagination and therefore everyone different. Let's listen to Paint the Red Rose. What was he to do but
Paint the Red Rose Blue from uh, The Boy Named If, new album from Elvis Costello, who's speaking with me this evening. Just on other projects that are that are involved, and it struck me there's a kind of a across this album a sense of play, a sense of you know, yes, the 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 inner child being this kind of mischievous character and and problematic possibly later on. But you need to be, you need to keep that inner child alive, I guess, as an artist. And it struck me that he was there, certainly in your Audible production, How to Play the Guitar and Why. I thought, oh, great, Elvis Costello is going to teach me how to play the guitar. You're doing a lot more than that in that, in that particular production. Thank you. As I described it, it was a word of work of comedic philosophy. <laughs> or, you know, I mean, I think it's probably more indebted to. BBC radio comedy of my childhood than than uh, Bert Whedon's Play in a Day book. You know, I mean, there are very, very logical ways to study music. And then there are the ways that just respond to your own curiosity and your curiosity leads you to greater understanding or seeking of practical knowledge that allows you to express yourself or simply have fun. And as it says in the last sort of pages of the uh, of the script, you know, you have to remember. I, I don't call it the inner child. I call it the inner idiot, you know, because there's the sort of, like, with relation to the guitar, if you don't study in a formal way, there's always some possibility for catastrophe and picking the guitar up in the first place. I mean, sometimes that can be used to illustrate something. In, in Magnificent Hurt, for instance, you know, you're talking about a desire so strong that it actually physically affects you. Well, they didn't really think you could make a pretty guitar solo in a song like that. So if you do listen to that record, the guitar solo is really crooked. You know, it's a really crooked choices of notes, sort of twisted. I wouldn't be able to get there if I didn't have the inner idiot alive in me, in in both my my mind and in my fingers. I really enjoyed recording that. You know, it was was one of the things that I did when in a cupboard under the stairs earlier this year, you know, where I'm just talking to myself, having written this script that was trying to take you through the different stages in which you would pick up an instrument and actually find ways to thwart yourself. You know, <laughs> like, for instance, beginning to play the guitar in C will lead you to the chord of F yeah. uh, almost immediately. And that's incredibly difficult mechanically for the novice's fingers, which means that the world is full of you know, murderous killers and tyrants and dictators who were really just thwarted guitar players who were so frustrated by the chord of F, it turned them and sent them down a wicked path of hatred and and murder and, and mayhem. So the world would be a happier place if everybody learned to play the guitar in G. <laughs> so clearly you know, that's, that's, you, you've avoided the F chord for a long time then, or you avoided it for a long time in your songs, did you? I did initially. I did go back to, to. I mean, I actually learned to play the guitar in a very, in a quite a tricky key, but I was spurred on. Again, you're spurred on by your curiosity. I wanted to know what it felt like to be able to play Peter Green's Man of the World. And somebody showed me the chord shapes, wrote them down in symbols, and I painstakingly taught myself to very haltingly play that song. Of course, once I'd mastered it, I realized that none of those chords were connected to any of the other tunes that I heard in my head. And I had to go back to the start. You start to want to learn the other chords that color the music that you need to hear the sevenths, you need to hear the diminish the ninth chords and all these things which a, a formal study of music will lead you to from a different path. Mm. And from a technical point of view, I would th- say this is a very faulty uh, instructional but from the sense of fun of what you might discover, I hope people would enjoy yeah. it. 
It, it brings up something else as well, which I, I want to finish up on, an, on another track from the album. And it brings up this idea of, I suppose you could argue that it was a mistake to start the guitar the way you did. But thankfully, you made that mistake. How, how important is it to allow yourself, because you wouldn't have gone on and learned the guitar the other way if you hadn't made the initial mistakes. How, how, how important is it to allow yourself uh, to make mistakes, which you, you know where I'm heading with this. My most beautiful mistake is the track that I want to, to finish up on. Mm. How important is it to to allow yourself, even in, at, at your point, you know, so established in your career, to still say, you know what, it doesn't matter if I make a terrible mistake here, I might find something just by by going there. I, I think that, that you know, the, the way in which uh, we define the mistake is, is really, uh, you have to be clear about it. It isn't like just a wrong, you know, a, a completely contradictory uh, there's an expressive dissonance and then there's just a note that's wrong, you know, mm. and you can, anybody can tell that's wrong. Uh, I think with, with the mistake, if that's the right word for it, is sometimes trying to trying to absorb somebody else's uh, style or the way certain songs make you feel. So you feel you want to write like that, but you never can take on that other person's voice or even their, their, their voice in, in the harmony, in the choices of harmony. You can imitate it to a degree, but in failing to get it right, you'll probably create, I make that point in, in the Audible piece as well, in failing to, to imitate accurately or you if you imagine yourself singing in somebody else's voice of course the mechanics of your own voice will not allow you to sound exactly like that person you dream of like i it sounds odd to say but when i was singing ballads in the early part of my career i often heard dusty springfield in my head but obviously i'm not dusty springfield you know i i've never worn that much mascara you know but i i there would be certain phrases where I would try, how would Dusty sing that? Now, it sounds a very funny thing to say, doesn't it? Because I don't have a voice anything like hers. But it would help me get to the sound that I was trying to create. I can't think of the specific songs now yeah. that I could point to, because you'd play them and people would say, you're crazy, there's nothing reminiscent. But it was something in the, the imagining of the song yeah. or the, even the performance of a song that I took from numerous other singers and the same with the style of writing or the style of playing the guitar or even the piano. I'm mm. much more limited on that instrument, but I am, can imagine more complex music than my fingers will allow me to play spontaneously. Um, with my most beautiful mistake, it's it's sort of like a courtship dance of a kind between uh, somebody writing a movie script and a woman working in a restaurant and the guy looks up from his thwarted, um, you know, uh, imagining of this character to see the face that he believes is his inspiration. Well, of course, I think if you were working in that such a restaurant and you were a young woman, you probably heard that tale before. And she bats that, you know, compliment away. And uh, our friend Nicole Atkins sings with me on this, not in a dialogue so much as she sings with me on key lines in the narrative. So you can understand that two people are, are speaking. Again, it's another one of those mysteries. Like, is that mistake a crime or is it in, or an invention? Because there's a suggestion in the last verse of the the song that the whole thing is actually a scene in a movie, and there, and the whole thing is actually scripted. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it feels like that when you meet somebody. You don't you don't always feel like it's you're having a sincere conversation. You're standing outside yourself as if somebody was behind a camera observing you, you know, I'm sure we've all had that experience. So um, that's what that was trying to catch. 
Well, if that isn't a mistake, I don't know what is. <laughs> well, it, it was a mistake I enjoyed you making because it certainly thank you. It certainly worked thank for you. me. Listen, it's a pretty tune and there's some good playing and singing on it. Yeah. yeah, there is that as there are across the the thirteen tracks on the album. Lovely to speak with you. Thanks for being with us, Elvis, and congrats on the album. Thank you very much. It is good to speak with you. You too. And it's Elvis Costello. And let's finish with the My Most Beautiful Mistake from the album, The Boy Named If. And as Elvis told us there, you'll also hear Nicole Atkins on vocals. This I am that thing is a little too long. The realize you will hear that they sing it right now, right here, right here in this song. And the lens supposed to focus on us. And that's a take You are my most beautiful My Most Beautiful Mistake, the title of that track from Elvis Costello's latest album. The album is called The Boy Named If, and as Elvis told us before that track, Nicole Atkins was also singing with him uh, on that particular performance. And great to speak with him about the tracks on the album.